Well, good morning. I trust and I hope that we are all doing well this, um, this fine Labor Day uh, weekend. I am very, very happy that I have my wife and son here with us uh, this morning. She doesn't normally get to be here with us. She normally has pastoral responsibilities at another church in another city, uh, but I get to see my son's smiling face as he gets to see what dad does on Sunday mornings. He, is, he looks like me, and it's terrifying because he's actually cute, <laughs> even, though, even though he's just as bald as I am. That'll probably change. We have here this morning uh, sort of... Um, and in between week, topic-wise, uh, we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy this, through this summer, uh, and we, we concluded that last week. And next week, I'm really excited about it, we're going to be looking forward to, we're going to be doing two things, really. We're going to be first remembering God's faithfulness to us in our first 100 years, and we're also going to be looking forward uh, to our second century together, and it's going to be a really good um, month-long celebration and expectation of what God has done and what God will do. Uh, But for now, we get kind of an awkward in-between week uh, on Labor Day where we don't really have a sermon series. So I was thinking about what I should preach on. I was praying about what I should preach on. And there's a subject that, for better or for worse, has come up a number of times that I've been thinking through over the past month or so, and that is death. Death is one of those things that we don't talk a whole lot about in church. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. Sometimes we don't like to say the word death. We like to use euphemisms like have gone to be with the Lord, have graduated to another life, have have passed away or have passed on. You know, we think about a time in our life where we're not going to need certain household objects anymore. But to actually stop and think about death, to think about your own death, is something that makes us uncomfortable sometimes. Even now, there's kind of a, you kind of feel the somber silence in the room because it's not, like some, it's not something that we'd like to be reminded of. But if I'm going to be your pastor, if I'm going to shepherd your heart through the good times in life, through the bad times in life, this is something that we should talk about. See, because we tend to be uneasy about death, sometimes we talk about it in really unhelpful ways. Sometimes, if you would hear some preachers and pastors talk, you would think death is a good thing. Right? Sometimes we feel guilty for for having grief at a funeral because they're like, oh, you know, I shouldn't be upset because they're home with the Lord. And we try to put a positive spin on things, but that doesn't always match what we're feeling in our heart. So this morning, I want to go through really the whole story of Scripture if we can, not go through every little thing, but I want to think biblically this morning about death. How should we as Christians who love the Bible, who read the Bible, who look to the Scriptures as our final authority on every matter, how should we think about death? I talked um, a few months ago. We mentioned uh, the paradigm of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. I don't know if this is familiar to you. If if it's not, we're going to go through it again. But one of the beautiful things about the Bible 
is that even though it was written over a course of uh, you know, a thousand plus years, it was written by people from all walks of life, from all kinds of different cultures, all different levels of education, all different locations, the Bible tells one unified story. Like any good story, it begins at peace and it ends at peace, and in the middle there is a conflict. Right? In chapter 3 of Genesis, there's a conflict introduced. Sin is introduced into the world. And most of the Bible is the story of how God is working to undo that. There are four parts to this grand story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We believe that God created the world perfect and entire Adam and Eve were sinless for two chapters of the Bible until they rebelled against God's command. They ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, and and the world fell. It's called the fall, the great cataclysmic event that ruined life for all of us. And the few chapters of Genesis that kind of follow that story talk about how humanity kept falling and falling and falling. But in Genesis chapter 12, we talked about this a lot through the Deuteronomy series, but in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and he begins a program of redemption. God promises that through Abraham, through all of his descendants after him, he would use them to fix the world, to bring blessing on the world where Adam and Eve had brought cursing on the world. And most of the Bible is the story of God at work in human history to redeem us, to fix us. And at the very end of the book of Revelation, book ended, you know, there's Genesis 1 and 2 about God's perfect creation. At the very end of Revelation, the last two chapters, we see our world restored to how it was intended to be in Genesis 1 and 2. This is the story of Scripture. And as we think through what it means to think biblically about death, we're going to kind of stop at each one of these places and see what Scripture says about death and how we should approach it biblically. So first off, creation. Right In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's one thing that we can kind of tend to forget as Christians— Because we see the brokenness of the world around us, and we can forget that God created the world good. The physical world that God has created is good. Broken, but good. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made. Right, He steps back, as it were, looks over all the creation, and behold, he said it was very good. The physical world that is around us is good. It's broken, but it's good. The other thing that we need to remember from creation is that death was not an original part of God's creation. That wasn't the plan. Sometimes we say, oh, death is just a natural part of life. Well, well, it's not. It wasn't supposed to be this way. God created Adam and Eve. He put them in his good world. And they were supposed to have perfect fellowship with God. They were at harmony with each other. They were at harmony with the creation, at harmony with their creator. They could fellowship with God face to face. They would walk with God in the cool of the day. They had spiritual fellowship with God. And they also physically had eternal life. 
There are two trees in the middle of the Garden of Eden. There's the tree of life, which as long as they followed God's commands and obeyed him, they had access to, they could eat of, and they could have eternal life. And there was the other tree. It's not called the tree of death. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God told them that in the day they eat it, what will happen? They will die. You have a tree of life and a tree of death. And a choice was laid before them. And they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. And they experienced on that day death. No, they didn't necessarily physically keel over and die as soon as they ate the fruit. But they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Kicked out of this place where the tree of life was. Kicked out of fellowship with God. And so because of their sin, for the rest of human history, from that point up until now, and further on into the future, as long as God lets it, we live in a world characterized by death. Romans 5, uh, verse 12, puts it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, all humanity, women don't get off of this, that spread to all humanity because all have sinned. And that matches our human experience, right? All of our ancestors, as far back as we go, have died. Great-grandparents grandparents, parents, in some cases, spouses, cousins, peers, loved ones, in some cases, children and grandchildren. And we all know, whether or not we want to think about it, we all know that if we wait long enough in this world, if God doesn't come back before then, we will experience the same thing. None of us escape physical death because of Adam and Eve's sin. But that's not the only way Adam and Eve brought death onto the world. You see, Adam and Eve had physical lives, and they also had spiritual lives. And the the very day that Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they died, not physically, although they eventually died physically, but the very day they ate of that fruit, they died spiritually. There was something inside of them that died. Ephesians 2 says this, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead. Paul's writing to a group of Christians in Ephesus. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there's two kinds of death here, two kinds of life as well. There's spiritual death, there's physical death. When we are born, all of us will experience physical death one day, but we are all born spiritually dead. Right, I have my infant son over here being cute as a button and distracted by everything and distracting me a little bit. See, I, you can't, yeah. What are you going to do? It's gonna, side note, it's going to be really bad once he gets old enough to realize how cute he is because then we're doomed. We're doomed. We can't discipline him or anything. He's just going to get away with whatever he wants. But when he gets old enough, we are not going to teach him how to lie. We are not going to teach him how to steal. We are not going to teach him how to be mean to other kids. He's just going to do that. 
We're going to have to teach them how to be kind to other people. We're going to have to teach them how to respect our authority, how to tell the truth. We're going to have to teach them how to be good. We don't have to teach them how to be bad because every one of us, as cute as we are, are born spiritually dead. That is our natural state. The spiritual inside part of us is dead and the physical outside part of us will die eventually and match our spiritual aspect. That is what Adam and Eve's sin has done to the world. It has broken our experience in this life. But that's exactly what God is at work to fix in this life. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 talks about how we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. But Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 reverses that. Some of my favorite verses in Scripture. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when on the inside we were dead, even when on the inside we, we did our own thing, we didn't follow God, we didn't obey God, even when we were dead, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him. God is at work redeeming and restoring his fallen creation, and that starts with our hearts. For those of us in this room who are in Christ, for those of us who are saved, for those of us who repent of our sins and trust Christ for our salvation, not everyone, but for those of us who do trust Christ, we are spiritually alive. There are those among us whom God has spiritually brought back from the dead. He's made us alive. He's raised us up with Christ. And so if you trust Christ for your salvation, then you can experience that new spiritual life. You can be empowered to do what is right. You can be empowered to follow Christ and to love Christ. Buddy, you are too cute. This is dangerous. We shouldn't have brought him. But even though we have been made alive, if we trust Christ, even though we have been made alive spiritually, if God delays coming and we keep going, we will experience physical death. There's the spiritual part of us which is made alive, but the physical part of us still needs to be fixed. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes it this way. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. He says, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, by flesh and blood, he's not talking about a physical body. He's talking about a corrupt physical body. Because if we look back to creation, right, God created the world and it was good. He created good human bodies. So that's not the issue. The issue is that we are fallen people. And Paul clarifies what he's talking about as he goes on. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Right? We all have perishable bodies. We are painfully, literally aware of that. As our knees go, as our eyes go, as our bodies break down, we are aware that we have perishable bodies. But we need imperishable bodies if we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. Paul writes this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not going to remain dead. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. 
right? This is not just a resurrection from the dead, right? We're aware of what Jesus did when he was here on this earth, right? He raised Lazarus from the dead. He says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus walks out of the grave. But was Lazarus raised perishable or imperishable? Perishable. Right? Lazarus isn't still around, walking around with us. Lazarus lived, we don't know how many years, but he died again. Lazarus was raised from the dead with a perishable body, a body that was still broken, a body that still needed to be fully resurrected with an imperishable body. But on that day, at the last trumpet, the bodies of those who trust Christ will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body, this body that we have that experiences death, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, hear this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? That saying will come to pass on that last day. And there are good, godly men and women of God who I think use this verse in ways that aren't helpful and maybe a little bit harmful. Because I've been to funerals. Maybe you've been to funerals where we're experiencing grief, sadness, And the pastor or whoever's preaching says, well, we know that death doesn't have a sting because of what God is going to do. And I I always feel like looking around and saying, what are you talking about? Death doesn't have a sting. Right? The bodies of our loved ones are lying right at the front of the sanctuary. We're full of grief. We're full of pain. How can you tell me that death doesn't sting? I feel the sting of death. I feel it right here. I'm full of grief. I'm full of sadness. But that verse isn't talking about the here and now. It's talking about that final day when the dead are raised incorruptible. Then, and only then, once our beloved mothers and sisters and friends and loved ones are raised from the dead, then and only then we can say, death, where is your sting? We can hug loved ones who we've put in the ground because they will be raised from the dead with incorruptible bodies. They will never experience death again. And on that day, we will mock death itself. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? We feel that sting at a funeral. But on that final day that we still look forward to, we will rejoice because death is finally defeated. It's important to note that the redemption that we experience, right, the new life that we have both spiritually and physically, is because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is from Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song to Christ, to the Lamb. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, 
and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The new life that we will experience is because Jesus died, because his blood has ransomed us. Right? Our sin was nailed to the cross along with him. And when he rose from the dead, he brought us back with him. He raises us up spiritually. He raises us up or will raise us up physically. It's because of Christ and his death and resurrection. So for now, we wait. Right? There's the four movements. There's creation, fall, redemption, and we're in the middle of the redemption right now. We, we experience little bits and pieces of the future restoration that kind of bleed through. Right? We have new life spiritually, even though we don't have new life physically yet. But for now, we wait for the redemption of all things. There's a familiar verse in 2 Corinthians, verses, or chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to go slowly. This needs a little bit of unpacking. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. While we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So according to that phrase, where is home? We're at home in the body. But we're away from the Lord while we're at home in the body, right? That's basic experience right now. We are in our bodies, but we are separated from God. Verse number seven, for we walk by faith, not by sight, right? Adam and Eve walked by sight. They had a relationship with God. They walked with him in the garden. One day when all things are restored, we will walk with Christ again. But for now, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are still separated from the Lord. Yes, verse eight, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. According to that phrase, where's home? With the Lord. Didn't we just read that being in the body was at home? Right, so when we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. But also when we're away from the body, we're at home with the Lord. Doesn't make any sense, right? Verse number nine. So whether we are at home or away, which home is he talking about there? Is he talking about the body or is he talking about the Lord? It's a good question. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. What I think Paul's getting at here is that while we are in our bodies, we are as God, at least a little bit, how he created us to be. Right? Sometimes you'll hear people say that you know, our body is just uh, you know, kind of a container for your soul. Right? You guys know what hermit crabs are? Right? Like little crabs that... They don't have a shell of their own, but they wander around the beach and they pick up shells of other animals that have been discarded and they kind of live in there for a little bit. And then when that gets too small, then they go and they find another bigger shell. We are not hermit crabs. Our bodies are not shells that we pick up for a period of time that just kind of contain our souls and then we're going to discard it one day. No, no, no. Our body is part of us. A soul is supposed to be united to a body. Right, going back to the creation, God created the world good. He looked around, he saw everything, he said, all this is very good. Right, our body is not some flawed thing that needs to be discarded. It's a perishable thing that needs to be renewed. So while we are at home in our bodies, that's good. It's not good to be separated from your body. 
But when the time comes, if God tarries, when we have our funerals, when our body is laying, yours may lay right here, and your soul is with Jesus, you're away from the body. It's not supposed to be like that. You're not supposed to be away from your body. It's your home. But you'll be at home with the Lord. Which is good. But that's not our final state. Revelation 6, 9 through 11 says this. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Revelation is a a letter to a group of churches that were facing persecution. Antipas and Pergamum had, had already passed away for his faith. He had already been martyred. And they were, the communities they were writing to were expecting more persecution, more martyrdoms. And here, the saints who had been killed were pictured underneath the altar. They'd been slain for the word of God, for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice. Right? These are souls who are in heaven, but there's still, there's still an angst inside them. There's still a, some pain inside them. They cried out with a loud voice, Sovereign Lord! Holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. These are saints who are away from their home in the body. They are at home with the Lord. But they share a longing, an eagerness, an awareness that even though they are at home with the Lord, even though their physical suffering has ended, that still it's not yet how it's supposed to be. And they cry out, How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? How long until you come back and make things right? If we can go back to Romans 8, to the verse that was our scripture reading earlier in the service, Paul says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That groaning is not hard to see. If you turned on the news this morning, you would have seen it, right? There's a hurricane bearing down on the east coast of the U.S. It's a Category 5 now. There's a mass shooter, another young white guy in Texas, killed five people, injured many more. We feel that groaning. Creation itself cries out in the pains of childbirth. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit Right? If we, if, again, if we trust Christ, our souls and our spirits have been made alive with Christ. We have new spiritual life. We have the first fruits of the Spirit now. We have the promise inside of us. If God has made us alive spiritually, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits are sort of the beginning of a harvest. Right? When the corn reaches, I'm not a farmer, I don't, I don't know these things, but when, it, when a corn reaches a certain height and you can get a little bit of it, or the tomato plant on your back porch, 
Like you get the one tomato and you're like, finally, I have a tiny tomato. I can make half of a sandwich with it, right? Those are the first fruits. It's a promise of what's to come. The spiritual new life that we have inside of us is a first fruit. It's a promise that fuller and greater redemption is coming. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, for the redemption of our bodies. If we trust Christ, our souls have been made alive. We experience new relation with Christ, a new lease on life. But we're still waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And as the years go on, that becomes more and more apparent to us. As our bodies stop working as they were designed to work, as our minds stop working as they were designed to work, as we painfully experience the breaking down of how things are, and one by one, as we experience death. Our bodies need to be redeemed. And we look forward on that last day to the time when that will happen. But for now, we wait for it. So I have three things, three attitudes for how we should treat death, how we should think about death. Number one, we should mourn death. We should cry out against it. Death is an imposter on God's good created order that we were never meant to experience. People will tell you that death is a natural part of life. You may tell yourself that death is a natural part of life so that we can come to grips with it, so that we can experience it. Maybe, maybe we can lessen the pain a little bit. It's okay to feel pain when a loved one dies. It's okay for your heart to be smashed to bits. It's okay for waves and waves of grief to wash over you. Because we know on the inside of us that it was never supposed to be like this. We were never supposed to experience the awful reality of loved ones passing away. Death is an imposter. We should not forget it. We were never meant to experience it. Life shouldn't be this way. But we should find comfort in the death of a believer. Not necessarily the death of everyone. Only those who trust Christ for their salvation will experience new life in Christ. The Old Testament in the book of Psalms says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There, there's a bitter sweetness when there's a saint who we've loved for years, who we've walked with, who we've, we've seen their Christian testimony lived out in their lives. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they belong to Christ and they cherished Christ. When they pass away, we rejoice, not because death is a good thing. We rejoice that they are free from pain. We rejoice that they are at home with the Lord. 
Not fully redeemed yet, right? Their body is still lying here, but they are enjoying sweet fellowship with their creator in a way that none of us are. We should find comfort in that. They have followed their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to the grave, and they will one day follow him out of it. Their physical pain has ended, and their soul is present with the Lord. The spiritual new life that they have continues in a greater way after they die. First, we should mourn death. Second, we should find comfort in the death of a believer. Third, we should long for the physical resurrection. There will come a day where Christ will come back to this earth and redeem every one of us who trust him. He will bring our bodies out of the grave, not in perishable bodies, but in imperishable bodies. Loved ones who we've buried over the years, loved ones who we miss, we will hug again, we will see again, and we will never taste death again after that final day. So while we wait for that day, we long for it. We groan for it. We long for the physical resurrection. Praying for physical healing. You know, one of the questions that I get as a pastor is what should we, you know, should we pray for someone to be healed who's dying? Right? You think of that older saint, perhaps they've struggled with cancer for years, full of, full of pain, full of suffering. We say, shouldn't we want them to die? We feel guilty and torn about this, right? Should we pray for them to be healed of their cancer so that they die of something else in a few years? And my answer to that is always yes. Because we know that God will answer that prayer, maybe in this life. Maybe he comes back and gloriously removes the disease from their body and they live another 10 years and praise God for that. I believe that miracles happen. But even if he doesn't, even if they experience physical death, we know that they will be healed on that last day. So until that last day, we long for the physical resurrection, we pray for physical healing, and we are filled with expectant joy. Not necessarily happiness. Right? It's probably a bad idea to walk into a funeral with a giant smile on your face and say, whoop-de-doo, yay. But even though we mourn, even though we cry, even though we are filled with grief, we are filled with joy. Because we know our Christian hope is that our God will redeem and restore his fallen creation. Everything sad is coming untrue. And on that final day, the world will be as God intended it to be. And we will live forever with God, our Savior. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me?